0: Hello, I'm Cole Peterson, based out of Portland, Oregon. I'm author of Backdoor Revolution and host of the ADU Hour, a podcast where we probe deep into ADUs and other small alternative infill housing. Expansive and deep thinking about small infill housing is our jam. You can sign up for information and announcements from my email newsletter at buildinganadu.com.
1: And I'm Kelsey King, a real estate agent and ADU specialist based in Bellingham, Washington. We host the ADU Hour live on Zoom. Cole interviews experts in the ADU space, and then we take some questions from our live audience. Joe Robertson owns Shelter Solutions, a small, efficiently run building company with over 40 years of home building experience with a massive variety of projects. They started building ADUs in 1998 when the Portland zoning code was modified to allow for ADUs. Since that time, they have built more high-quality ADUs in the Portland metro area than any other builder. Cole, what was your takeaway from our interview with Joe Robertson?
0: Joe was the most prolific builder of ADUs in Portland, so I thought it would be good to hear his take on what it takes to build them. He's very approachable and straightforward. I think a commonplace approach like he uses is actually noteworthy in the sense that it's kind of old school. There's no flashiness, really, and that's just fine. I think it's useful to understand that the value of basic home building skills can bode well for traditional builders like Joe who want to make the industry transition to focusing on ADUs because, well, they're more fun to build, but also because ADUs have a net positive impact on their community. What were some of your takeaways?
1: Joe is incredibly talented and creative. I've been a witness to many of his projects firsthand and appreciate his attention to the needs of his community as a builder committed to keeping projects on budget and on time. Let's hear our interview with Joe
0: joe robertson and i have known each other for about a decade or so and i learned about joe because he was you know pretty involved with some adu related conversations with the stc waiver which we'll talk about in a little bit more detail later but he's also just notably the one of the more prolific builders in the u.s and definitely the most or the most prolific builder in portland so and the most experienced builder in Portland in terms of ADU development, he corrected my marketing literature, which said he had been building an ADU for a decade. He's been building an ADU for two decades, which is very impressive given that ADUs were not really a phenomena two decades ago, at least in in Portland. So, so thank you for that correction. And it just goes to show how much Joe brings to the table. So we'll be fielding uh, a number of questions from you guys that are just kind of all over the map in terms of design and build questions at the end today. So, and Joe can, you know, answer any of these things adroitly. All right, so Joe, please introduce yourself a little bit for the audience.
2: Hi everybody, I'm Joe Robertson, owner of Shelter Solutions. Been a builder, residential construction for about 42 years and in Portland for 29 years and uh, building ADUs for about 22 years. So, um, Experienced in all different types of residential construction, from custom homes to production, and then, of course, ADUs and other accessory structures for other reasons. So now, uh, ADUs are pretty much all we do. How many ADUs
0: have you built, roughly, and in how many jurisdictions?
2: We had someone ask us this question about a, a month or two ago, and so we went back and counted So we're finishing one next week and it'll be number 169, 169 ADUs and primarily built in the city of Portland, but built some in Clackamas County, Washington County, Tigard and Tualatin, but 98% in city of Portland.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's some, you know, I've Mentioned that there's some really specific reasons why that's been the case that most people who are building ADUs are primarily building in Portland, but we're going to see that change probably with House Bill 2001. We'll see more market adoption in neighboring jurisdictions, but it's hard to find builders who have built in other jurisdictions around Portland at this point.
2: Yeah, we're open to it, but we we also need to gauge it by uh, travel time and we don't want to get further than about 30 minutes away in between projects and have to spend too much time on the road with the traffic situation here in Portland.
0: I, I know when I think of the work that I've seen that you do, I've seen detaching construction and I've seen a dish bump out addition ADUs. Do you also do internal ADUs or
2: other, you know, other forms of ADUs? Yeah, we have. We've completed a few basement conversions to ADUs and several Attached ADUs, like you mentioned, the you don't see the basement conversions so much because they're kind of harder to take pictures of. So I, I haven't posted any of those. Well, I, I think I do have one on my website, but uh, we prefer to build detached, standalone, new construction ADUs. But also garage conversions, we do quite a bit of those, and we like we like garage conversions. But we're not opposed to basement conversions, but there's there's just a select few that are set up to where it can be done properly. So it's kind of limited.
0: So prior to your decades of ADU construction experience, you did production home building. Can you talk about some of the lessons that you have brought to bear in the ADU development or building space that came from your previous
2: experiences? Yeah, so years ago, I was uh, for many years in uh, custom home construction in, in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And I noticed the other day you had somebody on your your listeners from Asheville, North Carolina. And I built primarily uh, timber frame homes, exposed exposed beam construction and mortise and tendon and post and beam construction. But all types of residential and custom home construction, each one designed individually. And then when I moved to Portland 29 years ago, I started working for a small builder developer that developed his own subdivisions and we grew quite substantially over the 10 or 12 years that I worked for him uh, until we were one of the major builders in, in the area that wasn't a national builder. And production homes, mostly mid-price production homes, and that's where i kind of honed organizational techniques and scheduling and estimating and so forth. Uh, and so I've applied both aspects to To building adus i i I like to say adus are like building a little custom home in somebody's backyard which it is to me but we also use uh, a lot of the principles that i use in production housing for organization estimating uh, scheduling and so forth
0: yeah and i'll be prodding you about that process actually let's just go into that can you tell us a little bit about the design build process that you use and tips you'd have for other builders who are trying to bust into this space
2: Yeah. So we, I started this system quite a few years ago. Well, actually when I started building ADUs. So we'll go out and do a site analysis with the customer and just look it over, have a kind of an informal meeting with the customer and give them our opinion, answer their questions. Then the next step after that with us is we do what we call a feasibility study. And um, in that We start with the design as far as the design build part. And we we also welcome projects from architects or customers that already had an architect, and we've done numerous ones of those. But from the design build aspect, we do a feasibility study. And we start with the site, draw a site plan, determine the footprint, and then work the floor plan off of that, and then develop it into exterior elevations. And there's a lot of back and forth with the customer during that stage, obviously, till we get to a point to where I say, are we close enough? where I can bid this out to all my subcontractors and suppliers. You can still move a window or change your cab plan. And I do that. I, bid, I have a system where I can send a bid package out, plans and specs. And I do a real detailed cost estimate. And also during that time, we meet with the city over the counter in an informal review, mostly with planning, sometimes with structural, and let them see what we're proposing to do and see if there's any issues so that we head them off before we actually apply for a building permit and uh, we present that to the customer in a booklet form and also electronically we charge a fee for that and when they sign up a... so we try to answer all the major questions in that and we also in designing try to design to meet their budget and then the next step is up to them when they sign a building contract we credit that fee against the price that we've given them for the for the feasibility study
0: i i think you're your feasibility study process is a good hook for getting new leads for getting clients in your funnel so to speak can you talk a little bit more about that you know roughly how much we're talking how in depth are these feasibility studies because i i I, for as a point of reference i do consultations for homeowners who are at the very beginning of the process before they've talked to a builder designer i charge two hundred dollars no you know i don't do referrals i just kind of my own opinion of of what their situation calls for what kind of builder they should look for which and it's not really a feasibility study but it's more or less my my professional opinion of what they should anticipate the process looking like but you're doing a much more in-depth feasibility study so let's can you pull that out for us a little bit
2: so my first site I call it analysis First consultation is very much like yours. It's an informational thing where you are answering questions basically and sharing what's required by the code and so forth. And then the step further into the feasibility study, it gets pretty detailed and we spend a lot of time with the customer and I don't mind saying it's on, it's on my website. We charge $1,950 to do a feasibility study, which if a customer doesn't go through the building contract, We've if I counted everything up, we've lost money, but it's to cover us, hopefully, part of the time if it doesn't go through. But it's also, you know, to get a little commitment out of the customer that we're gonna do all this work for you and and if you decide you want us to build your ADU, we'll we'll give you that money back. It's built into the cost of the of the project. So it's worked out really well. And the conversion rate to that is is pretty high. It varies a lot, but I'd say in the 70, 75% range converts to an actual build.
0: The remaining 25%, do you suspect they're going to other builders or are they just not going forward with
2: their ADU? I don't think, I I try to check up and I I don't think I've lost too many to other builders, like over the years, maybe two or three or four. Sometimes financing is the big holdup. Are they just change their mind or it's, it's a little too overwhelming. It's a big deal. So, and it's a long process. So some people just aren't totally cut out for it once they find out everything about it. But that's one of the beauties of the feasibility study. They definitely get their money's worth out of it.
0: We should clarify that when I've seen your feasibility studies actually include preliminary drawings of the ADU that you're talking about building.
2: Correct. So we do floor plans. They're They're detailed. I mean, everything's on the floor plans, except for all of the notes and stuff that you need to put on for permits and exterior elevations. And we'll usually do, we do it in Revit. So we usually do a couple of 3D renderings, either outside or inside or both. So when we go to final plans, we're just adding engineering and all the the details that the city is going to want to see on the application plans and any changes the customer makes along the way.
0: You're saying the word rendering reminded me that, can you tell us where you're sitting right now? Where we, th- where we think you're sitting?
2: Oh, well, this is one of my ADUs. I'm sitting on the floor. No, I'm, I'm actually in my office with a backdrop of a picture of one that we built. We're going to go into
0: costs here. I'm sorry, but Joe, talk about costs so I can put myself on mute.
2: I hope my, uh, my dog doesn't hear because it will start too. As far as cost... I notice I heard you say that we're one of the least costly ADU builders, and I, I don't, I can't say that for sure. And we don't want to be the cheapest, but we want to be as competitive as possible. And I think we, we're told that we are. I don't think I can say I've lost a whole lot because of cost. I've lost maybe some that. Was more than the budget that the customer could stand, but not because I was competing against somebody else. But we like to compete against other builders on a cost standpoint because I think we're not the cheapest, but I think we come out good. And I think we give the customer good value for the dollars they spend. But we are competitive for uh, maybe three three different things. One is is volume, because of the systems that we we have in place and our organizational systems and skills we can build more ADUs. We, we uh, one year we built 20. I can't say that was comfortable, but it turned out well. All of the customers were happy with their product and we built them on time and, and budget. But 15 to 17 in that range, depending on size and complexity, is a more comfortable volume for us. But when you build in that volume, you can keep your cost, I think, a little bit more competitive. And then two, our subcontractors and suppliers have been with me lots of them have been with me 20 years or more many of them 10 years or more i think the newest one we have is three years and so it it develops a loyalty and it helps to control costs when you're not jumping around from subcontractor to subcontractor especially in the market that we had before this little uh, big crisis hit us and then like i mentioned before in the feasibility study we design we were very upfront with the customer to get a budget up front and then we design to that budget when we're doing a design build, and we, we're pretty successful with that. So, let's talk a little bit about
0: your business. How many like how many full time staff are there, and what portions of the construction do you sub out, and what portions do you do in house?
2: We're a small company, and happy to be that way, especially when things turn uh, down it's myself my wife does the bookkeeping here in the office i have a project manager i believe you've met and then he has an assistant that he's basically training to to do more and more of his job and i'm training my project manager to do more and more of my job so we're we're kind of building within at this point and i in the near future i don't want to grow any more than we are i'm very happy with the size that we are, and I don't really want to do any more volume than I just explained. That works quite well for us, and we keep all the customers happy that way. So we're a pretty tight-knit company. Our designer works for us on a contract basis, so per-job basis, but he, like all my other subcontractors, has done all my work for many, many years. So it's more than just, hey, go to this guy and get a plan drawn. We've got a real good relationship. And then I also have a designer, like a selections coordinator, who's an independent contractor. She's also a designer for Nike, who works with our customers. When they go in for permits, she starts working with them and helps them, kind of holds their hand and help assist them all the way through making all their finished selections. So that's the the size of our business. So
0: what are some elements of ADU construction that make it more challenging than
2: conventional single-family home building? So, I've said this a lot, that building an ADU, like I said earlier, it's like building a custom home in somebody's backyard, is more difficult to me, and I've got experience in building hundreds and hundreds of houses, and building an ADU is more difficult than going out and building a 2,500 square foot house on a vacant lot by far. As far as challenges, the access is the obvious one. And we've built some that I I look back and I can't can't even see how we did it. But where there's five feet between the house and the property line, and we got everything through there, the concrete and the lumber and all the equipment and so forth, the grading. So access is always a consideration. We love, love corner lots <laughs> or alley lots too. Uh, love those. And then utilities. That's one of the first things when I go out on one of those site analysis to meet a customer. It's not fun or sexy to them, but the first thing I'm looking for is the sewer stack and where's the sewer and how to connect up the utilities and the electricity and the, and the water. How many fixtures do they have in their house and so forth? Because the utilities are, are, and particularly the sewer, is is one of the biggest challenges we have. We've got to really got to be creative sometimes to get that connected up. And then you're just we're in urban neighborhoods, so parking's limited as far as getting deliveries and subcontractors have to park close to to get their equipment out and load it into the job and so forth. That's always a challenge, and almost always a challenge. And neighbors, not. That's not really a challenge, but it's something we go out of our way to introduce ourselves to the neighbors, explain what we're doing to hopefully set their expectations and to take the fear out, out of, away from them and have them contact us anytime they, they feel the need to. So that's something you don't normally do when you're building in a, in a subdivision somewhere. Those are a few of them. There's more.
0: Now, last week we had on Ezra Hammer with Portland Home Builders Association, and I asked him about what type of advocacy builders could do. And I I know that you and I have both worked on some system development charge advocacy, and you actually were involved, I believe, with the 2010 SDC waiver before I was. So can you talk about your role in political advocacy, for lack of a better term, for ADUs over time?
2: Yeah. I've been involved with the home builders for, for many, many years on different levels. And when I was building ADUs, you probably know the year better than I do, but I think, I think back around 2009, a head, head planner at the time who has since retired contacted me and, and I'd known him from just regular residential construction for years. And he knew I was building ADUs and asked me if I would help support them. The planning department was going to go before the city council and asked for waivers on SDCs. This was during the recession. So they were trying to promote building, which was nice of them, and also trying to promote ADUs. And so I did, I worked I worked with him first in the preliminary stuff. He did a little presentation and had some other people there from the planning department. I was the only builder at the time who had built more than one ADU. So I, I testified then, they did waive the SDCs and that's where the whole thing, got started. And then since that time, as you know, I've, I think it's been three more times I've testified to the city every time it, because they, they waived them for three years and then another three years and another two years and so forth. And so I've, and the last time, last two times, I think I've worked with you lobbying and, and uh, testifying there. I also worked on a committee that Worked with the planning department on uh, revising the code for accessory structures, which includes accessory dwellings, but other things like garages and and other detached buildings. So had quite a bit of experience on that end of it over the years.
0: Can you tell us about, I mean, you said you were building ADUs prior to the 2010 SDC waiver, which is when they kind of took off. Can you talk about how the 2010 SDC waiver impacted your business directly
2: yeah it was kind of like the perfect storm and i at that point I, I even had a customer come in and testify to the to the city council at that time and tell what a big difference that that it would have made for them but yeah it was like the perfect storm in that they did the waiver more and more people learned what adus were i used to have to explain them to everybody i talked to and more and more people learned what they were loved the concept And then I was really shocked by how many people learned of this waiver as fast as they learned it. And so it was a real shot in the arm. And then we started coming out of the recession. So it was like kind of a perfect storm, everything coming to a peak with uh, demand for building ADUs, but it's definitely spurred by the SDC waivers.
0: And I wanna tie that into what we're going through these days. So let's talk about the impact of COVID. Could you talk about whether you've seen an increase or decrease in new inquiries since COVID?
2: Yeah, it's weird. It's uh surpri- you know, what's up is down and down is up and it's, nobody knows what's going on, but it's, it's been crazy. So last fall, we were three years straight. We were everything we could handle to keep, keep going with demand. And then last, late summer, early fall, it just kind of started dying down. And then I've seen your report since then and seen it was not just us, it was industry-wide and and ADU industry-wide, but it really died down fall and winter. And usually our our interest level and leads stay pretty consistent throughout the year. There's not a whole lot of peaks and valleys, excuse me. So I was concerned and then and so we stepped up a little bit on our marketing. And then in March, late February, early March, things started picking up, up significantly. And then the COVID crisis. I went, oh, God, that's just going to pull the rug out from under us. Well, it hasn't. It's, it's been surprisingly, and I'm glad, we've had more inquiries since, <laughs> since the shelter-in-place than we had before and when it kind of makes sense and that people have more time on their hands they're at home They building an adu may have been on the back of their mind and now they have time to look more time to look into it i don't know but since shelter in place we've signed four feasibility studies and two contracts so it's as good as the the good times the best of times just in this little short period of time so we'll yeah. see yeah. Who knows in the future? I have all bets are well
0: that doesn't help me with my next question, which was what do you hypothesize the next two years will look like for the ADU market? Let's just assume worst case scenario, COVID is still in effect for you know a year or so and we go into a recession. What do you th- hypothesize this would how do you think this would impact the ADU market?
2: I think well first of all nobody knows, but here's what I think, uh, that I think the ADU market will stay healthier than other aspects of residential construction. Remodeling, probably not because you're in somebody's house. If this COVID crisis is still right up front, people aren't going to want you in their houses, obviously. Building an ADU, especially detached ADU, we're out away from their house a reasonable distance and because of the size of an adu i built like you said a production housing for years and we would just run people through there like crazy to to build them in 90 days and so forth we don't have that tight of a schedule on adus although we do schedule them really uh, efficiently but because of the size you can only put one subcontractor at a time in there so you can social distance or working distance pretty easily with a with an adu as far as the marketing part of it i just don't know if interest rates stay low that'll help a lot but if people are worried about their jobs or they're worried about the stock market that's going to affect all of us so it's it's really a guess but i think adu construction will fare better than most other aspects of construction yeah i i think
0: that is true and i think you, your experience in twenty ten and my experience with this market in general indicates that it is will fare, fare just fine relative to other things in the face of a recession. So that's all the that's the only data point we have to go on, really. So any significant changes to your business model in the last few years that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah. As far as the way we do things, pretty pretty much the same, but and we've done that feasibility study program for 20 years, but we use a cloud-based construction management software now. It's taken, it's a big, big program. It's taken us almost four years to get really up to speed to all the, to effectively use all the modules of it, but it's wonderful. It, it handles all aspects of our business from new leads, the feasibility study process, all the documents, scheduling, owner selections, change orders bidding estimating subcontractor control and all the communications between subcontractors and us and us and the customer are all in that job for the customer and the customer has their own por- portal excuse me where they can pull it up on their phone or their tablet or their desktop and see their schedule their plans any documents and any of the emails back and forth, or our communications back and forth, and it's just been fantastic. Our, I mean, you used to drive around with a whole pile of blueprints in the back seat and a box of files, and all everything's in our phone right now. And and it's just uh, been one of those things that now that we're used to using, it's been a big learning curve. But now that we're used to using it, it's like, how did we ever do without it? Kind of a thing. What the customers what, love it. What's the software called? Builder Trend. There's several of them out there, but we really, we shopped and looked into them, and we just really like this one.
0: We, one of the conversations, the recurring threads that I've been having with several of the guests is about pre-designed ADUs. And you have some direct personal experience with this now, really interested for your take on these questions in a number of different ways. But let me just hand it over to you. Tell us about your experience with pre-designed ADUs. How is that doing? What's the response been? What did, you know, I'll ask you more about that in a second.
2: Okay. So yeah, so I mentioned working with the planning department and when they revised the code for accessory buildings and it includes accessory uh, dwelling units. Part of the changes were they allow, we have in Portland, generally speaking, side yard and rear yard setback of five feet. And so that's where you have to place an ADU, the the closest you can place it to, to a property line. But they, one of the amendments to the code was they will allow small structures, one level that are no longer than 24 feet in either direction and one level to be closer to the property line. Technically, you can build it right up to the property line, but we'd never recommend that. But, but three feet, two feet makes a big difference on a 5,000 square foot lot. So, And they, they relaxed, if that's the right word. The restrictions on the aesthetics of it, how that has to look, they, they made a little prescription that if you followed this prescription, so that meant you could design a building that a little ADU that could fit on anybody's or that could work on theoretically on anybody's lot throughout the city that's encompassed in that code. So we, we came up with three or four of them, uh, one levels and developed pricing for them and put them on our, our website. And uh, it's been pretty successful. They've all been modified somewhat because you have to, to make them work on the site with Flipping them or window locations and things like that, but they're basically the same plan built. Built none of them look identical, which is good. But uh, they've been pretty successful. I think we've we're up to seven of them now that we've built. So now we've just come out with a two-story model that does have to be set back in five feet, but it meets the criteria, so it could be built on other areas throughout the city. And we're going to do a little smaller two-story one coming up.
0: All right, so so let's. Let's give a little bit of insight about, first of all, what's the value proposition to a homeowner for a pre-designed unit? And then what are some considerations that new builders to this space should consider if their business model is contingent upon a pre-designed ADU? Hmm. Okay.
2: Well, if you... If you look at ours on our website, it says there are no changes are allowed. Well, well, that's that's in a perfect world and we can't really do that. You have to be flexible to, to make it work for the individual on their site. So we do changes. But what the advantage is, is the price is predetermined. You know what it is right up front. We With that price, we show them what's included and we have allowances for like quartz countertops, LVT flooring, a plumbing fixture package, and we say this is what's included in this price for this ADU. You don't have to go with that, but this is what's allowed for. And a lot of people stick with it. Other people want to just pick new stuff, but they know for that price with these materials that they can. So it takes a lot of the uncertainty out of it. I would like to say that it goes through the permit process faster, and it should, but I can do a whole whole hour long on the, the permit process, so I won't go there. But it does go through quicker, but not as efficiently as it should. And maybe that'll change one of these days, I don't know. But that was the intention, was that, okay, you guys have reviewed this over and over again, but so far they keep coming up with new stuff for us to... To deal with, but that was the intention to begin with is that we go through the permit process a lot faster, too.
0: And advice for our other builders in that, um, in that particular regard? Just
2: to be, it, it's a fine line to try to be pre designed and sell a package, if you will and being flexible, you pretty much have to mix the two together. I see a lot of pre-built ADUs, which I think is a great thing to market, but you're you're really limited on where those can go for a variety of reasons, so I wouldn't make it just a cookie cutter thing. I don't like myself to build two of the same thing. I, I like the fact that every one of ours looks different, but I think maintaining some standards that gives the customer certainty on price and design and combining it with a little bit of flexibility to allow them to tweak it to their their liking and what works on their sites, the, the key to make it work.
1: I love this one from Kevin. What are some of the mistakes you've made that you've learned from the most?
2: Oh boy, lots over time. And that's true to just, construction in general. One of the big things with building ADUs in people's backyards are, I mentioned the utility connections being a, a challenge, but also when you're connecting, this is maybe boring to some, but when you're connecting sewers and water lines to existing basements, what you create, but when you fill it back up is a weak spot in the soil to where groundwater will go to and run down the path of least resistance, which is the pipe, and direct it right to the customer's basement where you're going into to tie into the sewer. So we've learned all kinds of new techniques to stop that water and to waterproof the basement so we don't get a call on a Sunday night with uh, somebody having water in their basement that we have supposedly caused. So that's that's one big one that, that did wake me up in the middle of the night.
1: Great, thank you. Does the feasibility study include a survey, perk test, or soil test?
2: We, we do a, a perk test ourselves when we are going to use a stormwater system like a dry well. We'll just dig in and do the perk test ourselves, which is a requirement of the city when you apply for the building permit. We don't do it in the feasibility study. <clears throat> I know, <clears throat> excuse me, from experience that properties on the east side of the river here in Portland drain pretty well and will accept dry wells, and properties on the west side of the river won't. And so there's things like that that we know whether to do it or not to do it. We get the survey done. The survey is required almost in every case while it's going through the permit process if we're reasonably sure where the property lines are within, say, a foot, which usually are in the city lots. But it is required that you have a survey, and I build that into the estimate. And soils, only if you're on what the city considers a sloping lot, do you have to have a geotech survey done. We have one right now that had enough slope to where we had to have a geotech, and then he comes out once we've dug our footings before we pour concrete and and inspect it and write write a report, but not very often.
1: Speaking of the utility, can you say what percentage of ADUs you hook up to the existing property versus directly to the city?
2: almost always the sewers hooked up to the existing property we've had a few that were like went from it had a front inch on two streets to where we could tap the sewers separately for the adu but that's really pretty unusual so you usually share the sewer with the water that depends on how many baths are in the existing house and how many you're building in the in the adu whether you can share the water with the house you can always share it excuse me, with the house, but you have to upgrade the meter so big that it kind of makes sense sometimes just to put a separate meter in for the ADU. But if you can share it, you're much better off from a cost standpoint. But I'd say maybe 70% of them we share directly with the house. Okay.
1: Thank you. Do you know what percentage of the ADUs you built are going to be given in inhabited by family members and friends versus those that are going to be directed, rented out for long-term rental or short-term rental?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And when I first started this way back, I thought, oh, rental property, everybody's going to want invest an investment and have a rental property. It makes so much sense. And it does, but almost half of them aren't strictly rental. We do a lot of houses for aging parents where the aging parent uh, actually pays for the ADU on their adult children's property. They live in it for however long, and I love it because it's a win-win-win for everybody. The adult children get all the value increase on their property in a future rental, and I think the whole aging and place thing is growing and growing, and I think it's gonna become more of a factor, but that's, that's my favorite use for ADUs but all kinds of other uses. And the beauty of an ADU is that it can change on a dime. You could change the use of it from year to year. You can't easily in Portland change from short-term rental to long-term rental, but you can go long-term rental to studio, to office, to grandmother staying in it, to a a kid getting out of college and in between careers or whatever. So there's a lot of flexibility there, but it's not strictly rentals. I would say, 60 to 70 percent, maybe rentals, and the others are family and other uses.
0: Okay, let me jump in with a little bit of commentary on this. <clears throat> so, in the there was a couple surveys that have been conducted in the city of permitted ADUs, and and from those surveys, we know that the uh, there's really just two main motivations of why people build ADUs. That's passive rental income potential and multi generational household flexibility. It's 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 oftentimes like a, Joe is articulating. A combination of those two things. It's sometimes like, I have a parent who's going to be moving to town eventually, but I want a, I want to have it as a rental in the interim, or, or you know, some kind of combination like that. So, but but it's usually those two motivations coupled together.
1: This one. How are most of your customers financing their ADUs? And for those that are financing, can you um, offer any insight on what has flowed the best without hiccups?
2: Yeah, and I think Cole can probably speak to this better than me too, but from my experience, if it's if it's for an elderly parent, then that's probably cash because they probably sold their big house that they've lived in forever and they have a, a bundle of cash that they're sitting on and and this doesn't use it all up and they can still have a house paid for essentially and money left over. For the average individual that's going to rent it out or for other purposes, if they have it, the home equity loan is by far the best way to go. The least restrictive, they control the money, but if they can't, if they don't have the equity, then the next step would be an actual construction loan or a refinance of the whole property. The construction loan part works just like a builder works with a construction loan where they borrow the money just to build it and the bank comes out and makes inspections and then releases money to the builder. On a monthly basis and and it's okay it's just a lot of paperwork and red tape, and they put the customer through a lot more of a ringer than than any other type so I, I'm sure you got more on that call
0: well i I'd, I'd actually like to die to go into that last topic a little bit without calling out any particular banks i my impression is that a renovation loans construction loans are great that they're there, but that they're a pain in the butt. And I don't know that there's anything that can be done about that, but I usually put it out there as like the, you know, if you can do a HELOC or a cash at refi, go with that. But I'm really glad that banks are doing renovation loan, construction loans. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, like, would you turn away a job because it was using that kind of rent? Construction loan financing, and it was that much of a hassle, or like tell us a little bit more about your experience as a builder with that.
2: Honestly, I felt like it, but I was already too far into it to turn around, and I would have left the customer holding the bag, so to speak, because it's not so bad for me. Once it's set, then I have to go off of their draw schedule and fill out their forms, and they check me out financially and all that, and check the CCB and all that, which is fine. I've got those forms already pre-filled out to send in when they asked for them. But what they put the customer through, we had one that was an attached ADU in southwest Portland. And these people were financially sound, but I bet it took six months for them to process that loan. And they just kept asking for more and more and more. And the people were just frantic over it. And I wouldn't have ditched them at that point, but I, I felt like gosh just get out of this thing. But it worked out in the end. And they're glad they did it now. But it was painful. And I think that's going to get more competitive. And I'd like to think that it would get more streamlined. It's way, way too cumbersome. It, it just doesn't need to be that way. So so from the homeowner's
0: vantage, it's definitely, you're validating that it is a pain in the butt. And that's every, every time I've talked to somebody who's gone through it, it's a pain in the butt. And from a builder's perspective you think it's worked okay but you've gotten paid after each phase of construction which is not typical is that correct
2: yeah we 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 have a regular draw schedule in our contract that is x percentage at a real defined stage of completion like 20% when the foundations in and all the utilities are hooked up and 25% when it's framed up to roof sheathing and stuff like that it's real definable the customer can understand it it's fair but with, with a construction loan through a bank, they've got the, you've got to convert to their forms and they have to check their forms off in a certain way. And it's just more cumbersome and it slows the process down a little bit. But I, I can live with that if they would process the loans better for the customers.
0: Yeah. And I, I just want to be clear that while I think it's this form of financing, I think is just objectively has been historically a pain in the butt. I still am so thankful that it's there. I think it's a great mechanism and I don't necessarily know what banks could do differently. I just know that that's what I've heard from people about. Yeah. You know,
2: Unfortunately that had not changed much so far.
1: What other costs can a homeowner expect to pay even with the turnkey price of a pre-designed unit such as site work, utility hookups, permits? Good
2: question. So when I developed those pre-designed ones and did a cost estimate on them, I went back through historical data as far as costs, and I figured an average site development cost for grading, utility connections, and so forth, backfilling, anything to do with the site. It's The rest is pretty easy to estimate. So I just... Average it to so in that cost is average site work for a average 5,000 square foot lot of a house in Portland with reasonably good access. Access can cost a lot more if you have to do special gymnastics to get in the backyard. So so that will fit most situations in Portland. So as far as additional costs, if you're over and above that, of course. The water line, if you have two and a half baths in the house and you want to build an ADU, then you're looking at a $7,000 meter upgrade or a new meter cost. So that's not in there, but most older Portland homes don't have two and a half baths. So then we are turnkey. We typically include what we have to put in as far as appliances. We put in a, a dishwasher if they want it, oven. Pre-standing range, oven, and a hood or micro hood above that. We don't typically, and they're not included in the pre-design costs, the washer and dryer or the refrigerator because those go in after we're done and they're not required for any inspections. So to be move-in ready on the pre-designed ones that we have, you'd have to add the refrigerator, washer, dryer, and any window coverings, blinds that you're going to put on the windows. Then it's 100% ready to move into.
1: All right thank you um, I know you kind of talked about your side of the v- business in that you are still seeing contracts being signed you've signed a couple contracts I'm just curious about the supply chain or labor how, how has that been affected and do you think that that is going to continue and how does that look
2: Boy, this is just such a new and different situation what I don't hope doesn't happen is what happened after the last recession to where there was so much demand and the subcontractors and suppliers were had way more business than they could handle and what, and were understaffed and couldn't get help. I hope this is more of a gradual recovery, so to speak to where we don't have it. Cause we had awful lot of pretty drastic price increases during that period of time too. I couldn't keep up with it. When people would ask me, well, what do you think this is going to cost? I really hesitated because it changed so fast. And if I set a number out, I'd be the bad guy a month later when it, when the costs change. So I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it's a gradual thing. And I think it, maybe it will be a gradual thing by the way the talk is about uh, gradually opening things up as we go, so.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the ADU Hour. New episodes will be released weekly.
2: But hopefully we won't see the kind of price increases that we did before after the recession. The ADU Hour
0: audio podcast series includes some of the interviews that were part of the live show. The unedited full-length version of all of the episodes is now available in video format for a one-time purchase price of $39 on buildinganadu.com. You can register for the ADU Hour series to gain immediate and indefinite access to all new and old shows. You can also find ADU courses for homeowners, real estate professionals, sign up for my email newsletter, which includes content and announcements, and pick up a copy of the book Factor Revolution while you're there. Go to buildinganadu.com to learn